0: This is 99% Invisible. I'm Roman Mars. In 1898, China granted a 99-year lease to Great Britain for the areas across the harbor from the British-controlled island of Hong Kong. But smack in the middle of that territory, known as Kowloon, was an enclave that wasn't included in the lease. A place that would, at least officially, still be controlled by the Chinese. It was a large fort built decades earlier to put a check on British expansion but it evolved into something very very different
1: this was the first photo that I saw of it
0: why don't you start describing it because it's a little I haven't yeah taken it in yet
1: (laughs) okay the first analogy that that springs into my mind is it looks a little bit like the the Borg cube from Star Trek (laughs) (laughs) It's a city block, and we're not looking at a neighborhood that's nestled in a city. Like We're looking at a Borg cube that is in the middle of nowhere. There's skyscrapers behind it, but the demarcation between this neighborhood and everything else is staggering.
0: That's my friend Nick Vanderkolk from the program Love & Radio showing me photos. He was the first person who told me about this place. It became known... As Kowloon Walled City.
1: And even though the walls eventually came down, its name was still appropriate. There was no mistaking the boundaries between it and the rest of Hong Kong. The edges became a wall of 13 story high rises overlooking a comparatively sparse squatter's village. Buildings evolved organically, growing tendrils of bridges, pipes, and wires that encroached on other buildings, until the city turned into a single giant organism. Because it was in this legal no-man's land, not under British jurisdiction, but pretty much ignored by the Chinese authorities, it became a magnet for the displaced and the marginal. Thousands of people moved there after war with Japan broke out in the 30s, and even more moved there after the Republic of China went communist. It attracted gangsters, drug addicts, sex workers, refugees, and it also drew a lot of average people from all over China who needed cheap rent and saw opportunity.
0: Kowloon-walled city was, at its height, the densest place anywhere, ever. It had a population density of about 3.2 million people per square mile. In comparison, Manhattan has a population density of about 70,000 people per square mile. That means that Kowloon Wall City was about 46 times as dense as Manhattan.
1: So let me put that another way. If Manhattan wanted to get anywhere close to that kind of density, every man, woman, and child living in Texas would have to move there. I came across it very much
2: by accident. I came around one corner and saw this structure that looked really different than everything else around it.
1: That's Greg Gerard, a photographer. He lived in Hong Kong in the 80s and 90s. And that's when I first became aware of the
2: walled city and started photographing there. Its density was immediately apparent. Buildings had been built up against each other without any space between them. Each homeowner or each person who rented would build a different kind of caged balcony that would stick out a meter or two from their apartment. It was a way of opening up the apartment and getting more space and and air and light. I went for a first walk into one of the alleys and was immediately struck by what's overhead, and that's this tangle of electrical wires and wet garbage that had been thrown from the upper floors, TV antennas all over the place, incredible noises from the various manufacturing, metalwork, small kind of foundries, cotton mills, kitchens, furnaces burning for barbecuing pork or duck or whatever. Sensations underfoot as you go down some alleys, you know, into watery, squishy stuff.
1: Watery, squishy stuff?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, stuff between buildings that you're walking on. I mean, I I really don't even know what some of it was. All manner of sensory assault, really.
1: Greg took a lot of photographs of the walled City. There's one, probably one of my favorites of his, of a temple. It's much shorter than the 13-story high-rises around it.
0: Over the temple is this huge metal grate that's there to keep trash off the roof.
2: The lifestyle of living in the walled city was to dispose of garbage by throwing it out your window.
3: And so the temple built a big net above its roof, uh, and then it actually cast beautiful shadow through all this trash.
2: It allowed for a really interesting light to filter down through some of the bases in the garbage, almost like a tropical kind of canopy, except this one was made for
1: refuse.
0: That new voice you heard is Aaron Tan.
1: Aaron is an architect from Hong Kong and wrote his master's thesis about the walled city. And he interviewed a lot of people who lived there.
3: The walled city was uh, at its prime time is during the sixties and seventies. And that was also the same time where the the great thinkers of architect, like the Archigrams, uh, the Metabolists was talking about this kind of self-organizing structure, intelligent building thinking all these things are going on in the West, uh, but not recognizing the existence of the world city actually is doing that. So on the other hand, the world city in Hong Kong is growing by itself, but without any architect working on it. So it's like the coexistence of two. One is very theoretical, one is something very real, and they do not know the existence of each other until much later, when, when in the late 80s, when Greg Girard or in the early 90s, when we start to look at it and see that the amazing coexistence of these two things <laughs> uh, during the same time.
0: Because the walled city was virtually autonomous from both China and Britain, there wasn't a lot in the way of infrastructure. There weren't any building codes, obviously, and there wasn't any garbage collection either.
1: Which is why people threw their trash out the window. The walled city gained a reputation as a sort of den of iniquity. There were high levels of prostitution, gambling, organized crime, and for some reason there seems to be a lot of rampant unlicensed dentistry. But
0: a kind of order did emerge.
1: The triads, who are sort of like the Chinese version of the mafia, filled the power vacuum with its own rule of law. They made at least some attempts at hygiene.
3: Triad gangs could get the drug addicts to clean up the streets.
1: And residents' organizations popped up to settle disputes between neighbors. There was industry, too. Noodle factories, fishball factories, textiles.
0: There were restaurants. And because the sanitation wasn't great, they would kill your meal in front of you to prove that they weren't serving you spoiled meat.
1: A lot of the electricity was pirated. Someone would tap a cable into the grid and run it over and across the buildings. And then an official would shut it off. Then somebody would tap the grid again, lay a new cable on top of the dead one, and then that would get shut off and so on and so on. Eventually, there were just so many cables running over and across all the buildings that the alleyways below were
3: almost in total darkness. You cannot rely on what you see because you get lost right away, you know? But based on smell, you could better. Maybe they're selling pork here, and then there's another cluster of factory doing sugar and sweet. So actually relying on your smell You can actually navigate through the city better.
0: (laughs) It was said that if you knew your way around the city's elaborate maze of catwalks, you could walk from one side to the other without ever touching the ground. In the 70s and 80s, when the end of the new territory's lease was on the horizon, Britain and China began to figure out what it meant for the future of Hong Kong. And part of that negotiation included the question of what to do with the walled city.
1: After three quarters of a century of ambiguity from both countries, they finally agreed on a long eviction process. And in 1993, four years before Britain handed over control of Hong Kong to China, Kowloon Walled City was demolished.
0: But the story of the Walled City does not end with its destruction.
4: I'm Brian Douglas, and I designed the first draft of the Kowloon Walled City level in Call of Duty Black Ops.
0: Call of Duty is a first-person shooter video game series.
4: Normally, you get into like an army situation where maybe you're in the middle of the street or you're up on the second story or something, but it's not a very vertically dynamic world most of the time except visually, but we never usually get to get up to those tall points.
1: In other words, in most games like this, the scenery is just scenery. You can't interact with most of the visual world that exists off the ground.
4: Usually they're just there to make the world feel fleshed out and real. But with Kowloon, it was actually like, well, let's go up there.
1: Call of Duty Black Ops is just one of many games to recreate the city. It lives on in a kind of virtual memorial, except with um, way more gunfire.
4: This is kind of a level builder's dream because it provides opportunities that we don't normally get. In our first sequence you can see sort of the the liberties that it allowed us to take because if I needed to just make something really sort of crooked and awkward it was just all like carte blanche because it really fit into the nature of the city. The doorways weren't necessarily the right size or the hallways were a little thinner and they bend in the middle. Some of the ceilings were a little taller where it wasn't really fully developed and there were wires coming off of it. You could just imagine what you will for it and it was probably suitable.
1: I played the Walled City level. Uh, Actually, that's a lie. I watched a friend of a friend play because I probably would have died in the first two minutes. But anyway, it's it's clear that Brian and the other designers put a lot of thought into each location. For instance, a particular room might have a half-eaten meal on the table. There are these signs of a moment in someone's life. But even though the world is full of bad guys trying to shoot you, you come across almost no one who's actually living there. It's easy to lose sight of the fact that this was a real living, breathing neighborhood. When you discovered that they were gonna be tearing down, I mean, what did you think about that? You sort of knew it as a real neighborhood and not just this sort of fantastical den of iniquity.
2: Yeah, um, you know, quite mixed feelings. I mean, the place was completely unbelievable and it was just this fantastic phenomenon.
0: This is Greg Gerard again, the photographer.
2: At the same time, that civic-minded part of you knows that this can't and shouldn't continue. It was a fire hazard, a health hazard. It's one of those things that it fell between the cracks and grew there into this beautiful monstrosity.
1: Aaron, the
3: architect, has a similar ambivalence.
1: Uh,
3: I do. For me, as from an architectural point of view, uh, it's very sad to see it go. But when I interview with people 20 years later, I also get half-half kind of respond. Uh, some say, oh, this place is smelly, it's bad, I'm glad that it's gone, so that now you see my new flats is much better. Yeah? But there are some people uh, have very good memory of Port City they miss the richness of the space inside, they miss the community inside, they miss the convenience inside that they can get things easily in the city. So you do get these two kind of opinion too.
1: But for Aaron, there was a value in having it dismantled. As a graduate student, he got to observe the city getting taken apart piece by piece. For him, it was an autopsy, a way to see how the various pieces of the city all fit together. He was able to build an understanding about how cities function almost with their own will. And as an architect, Aaron learned to allow for this sort of organic self-determination into his projects.
0: Tan now incorporates some lessons of Kowloon-walled city into his own work. Rather than planning everything to a T, he now looks for ways to allow the organic nature of a city to organize
3: itself. We are not saying that this is a wonderful place. In a way, we're not trying to say that we want to duplicate this model because its existence is so unique a uh, position in history. Huh? Um, you cannot recreate it. But in the, on the other hand, when you look at it, it has a certain a quality in its performance as an urbanism. It performed well uh, in a very restricted constraint that uh, with lack of water, without electricity, they know how to organize themselves, know how to deal with it. The trash, like I said, on one hand, you might see there are more trash, but on the other hand, they know how to organize the people inside to remove them. And even a postman inside know how to deliver the letters. Um, So it is a kind of good alternative model for us to evaluate
0: our design strategy. 99% Invisible was produced this week by Nick Vanderkolk from the shows Love and Radio and Snap Judgment with some help from Sam Greenspan and me, Roman Mars with research assistance from Alexander Jerry. It's a project of 91.7 local public radio KALW in San Francisco and the American Institute of Architects in San Francisco. This episode was brought to you in part by Shutterstock.com, where you'll find over 20 million stock photos, vectors, illustrations, and video clips. When you find the images you like and decide to purchase, use the offer code INVISIBLE11. That's INVISIBLE11, and you'll get 30% off any package. That's at Shutterstock.com. Support is also provided by Tiny Letter, email for people with something to say. My boy Maslow always has something to say, and right now it centers mostly on Spider-Man.
3: I think the lizard in the new Spider-Man movie just looks like a giant iguana.
0: Everyone's a critic. Tinyletter.com, the simplest way to send an email newsletter from the people behind MailChimp. We are distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange making public radio more public. Find out more at PRX.org. You can find the show and like the show on Facebook. I tweet at Roman Mars. But if you want pictures and links to learn more about Kowloon Walled City, you should go to 99percentinvisible.org.